Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's nice to see a good crowd here on New Year's Day. Usually in some of these holidays, you only get the committed crowd, but then that's always a good service, right? So we're glad you're here. Um, we, if you're new, if you're visiting, I saw some visitors out in the, in the lobby. Uh, we go verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and we are actually doing two books every other week. We're going through uh, the book of Romans, and we're going through the book of John. Today we fall in the book of Romans, and we're starting chapter 3. Um, I've titled this, The Bible Advantage. If you own a Bible, you have an advantage from so many people in the world, a spiritual advantage. Because that Bible tells you about Jesus Christ, and it tells you the way you can connect with God. Many people all over the world don't have a Bible. Uh, if God has you here coming to a Bible church, you don't, you don't realize the advantage, the privilege that you have. It's very rare today to find a church that's teaching through the Bible. They're trying to entertain people, to get their money or whatever, make people feel good. But what about the Word of God? And in the book of Romans, what Paul does is, like he does in all of his books, he's at the beginning of the book, he's got to get our theology right before he tells us how we should live as Christians. So he's in this, he's going to spend a lot of time uh, telling us that you cannot be saved by religion. You cannot be saved by doing outward things. You can only be saved inwardly when you're born again inwardly, as we're going to talk about in John's gospel that Jesus tells the religious Nicodemus. You've got to be born from the Holy Spirit. So we are in that section of Scripture. Now I'm going to be teaching from the New American Standard Bible today. And the reason I'm going to do that, many scholars, many pastors believe that the New American Standard is the most accurate Bible. That it tries to be word for word for what the Hebrew means, what the Greek means. A lot of times it doesn't read as good. That's why I use the ESV. It tries to get the word right, but it reads better. But I have found in my studies that the New American Standard sometimes reads better. And so I'm choosing that today. You might say, well, why is it so important to get a good translation of the Bible? Um, well, because some Bibles paraphrase things. They water things down. They, they want you to understand it, but then they're not getting you the proper meaning. Probably not a good illustration to give in church, but I think you'll understand it. Let me explain it to you this way. Let's say I take two eight-ounce cups. In one cup, I fill half the cup with water, and then I pour the rest in the cup to fill it up vodka, okay? And then I take the other eight-ounce cup, and I put straight vodka in it. Which cup has more pop in it? The straight vodka, right? So I do believe that God can use paraphrased, 
translations. I think it's still got some spiritual pop to it. But I think you want to find a translation that's given you the accurate, true meaning. And by the way, uh, Ephesians 5 tells you not to get drunk on that stuff, but to be filled with the Spirit. How are you filled with the Spirit? When you believe and apply the Bible. So let's, let's, let's read our text today. Verses 1 through 8 of Romans 3. Paul writes and he says, Then what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar, as it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Far from it. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as we are slanderously reported, as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come of it. Their condemnation is deserved. In 2 Peter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Peter says about the Apostle Paul, he says, his writings are hard to understand. And sometimes when you just read it, it's very hard to understand. And I think if the Apostle Peter had a hard time understanding it, some dude named Frank from Port Charlotte is going to have a hard time understanding it. But thank God... For men filled with the Holy Spirit, thank God for Bible commentaries. Thank God for teachers that can explain what the Word of God is saying to us. And I think we can get some application here. And what, what's going on here? Let me, let me tell you what's happening. Paul is going after the religious Jew. He, first, he went after the pagans in Rome. But then he turned to the religious Jew, and he said that you cannot get salvation just because you're born a Jew. You cannot get salvation from being circumcised or keeping the Jewish law. There's more to it. You have to come to Christ. So what Paul is doing here, he knows because he is saying this, he already knows what they're thinking. He already knows what they're going to say. So what he starts doing is he's arguing, he's asking questions and then arguing the truth. Here's what you're going to say, but here's the truth. That's what he's doing here. So he asks questions that, you know, sometimes I do that. Sometimes when I'm teaching, I already know 
what you're going to ask in your mind when I cover something. So I try to answer that question for you. I think that's a good way to teach. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's defending himself before he even sends the letter, and he already knows people are saying these false things about his teaching. So let's look at three things. Number one, first of all, Paul argues and he says, I'm not attacking God's people. I'm not attacking God's people. He says, then what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First, that they were entrusted with the actual words of God. That's why I like the New American Standard. He says, you Jews, the Jews, we Jews, Paul's a Jew, we have the actual words of God. What a privilege. What an advantage. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. When we get to Romans 9, Paul says, I would give up my salvation for my Jewish brothers. Paul loves the Jewish people. He himself was a, was a brilliant Jewish scholar. But what he was trying to say is, I'm just trying to tell you, you were privileged to be a Jew. You have an advantage as a Jew. You have the very words of God. But that alone is incomplete. That alone cannot give you salvation. Listen to what Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day in John 5. John 5, and I feel it coming. <laughs> he says, You examine the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very Scriptures that testify about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. How sad. He's telling these Jewish men, you guys diligently study the Scriptures. Jewish boys, when they went to school, that's all they did all day long was read the Scriptures. But yet when Jesus came, how sad. Many of them did not recognize Him as the Messiah, even though everything they were reading was about Him. And they got so focused on their outward religion that they missed a relationship with God who was standing in their midst. So Paul's saying, I'm not attacking God's people. I'm not attacking the dear Jewish people. God has used the, the Jewish people. People think the Jewish people wrote the Old Testament. The Jewish people wrote the Old and New Testament. The Jewish people gave us our Messiah. And that is a great advantage, a great privilege. But that by itself would not save them. I would say that to us today. You can own a Bible. You can be coming to a Bible church. I've seen it all these years. People come and hear the Bible and they hear about Jesus. But yet, 
it's like they hear it and they kind of believe it with their mind, but it never gets in their heart and it never transforms their life. This is sad to me. So we need to make sure. We've been talking a lot about the heart. And you can't, listen, you can't change your heart. Only God can change your heart. You can change your mind. You can say, you know what, I'm changing my mind. I, I, I'm not going to live this anyway, anymore. I'm going I'm to go towards Jesus Christ. And then God will change your heart. But you've got to ask God, God, change my heart. But Paul says, I'm not attacking God's dear people. Number two, Paul says, I am not attacking God's promises. Verses three and four, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Far from it. Rather, God must prove to be true, though every person be found a liar. As it is written, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. So he knows what they're going to say. You're telling us we can't be saved just by being a Jew. We, we have circum, circumcision. We can't be saved. We have the law. And God has given us all these promises. So are His promises void? Paul is saying no. The problem is not God's promises. The problem is you're not receiving the promises in your heart. God, God, the Bible is full of so many promises to us. And some people will say, well, how come I'm not getting any of those promises? Well, because you're not, you're not being faithful to God. We have to be faithful to God for those promises to come true in our life. So Paul's saying, I'm not attacking God's promises. I'm just saying you have the promises, but, but you're not believing in it. You're not being faithful to it. And so this is what he's saying. He says so at the end there, so that you are justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Let me read. He's quoting from Psalm 51.4. This will help you understand that better. David said this, Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only have, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David gets it right. David's not blaming anybody else for his sin, he's not blaming God for his problems, he's not blaming anybody else for his problems. He's blaming his own sin. He says, God, you are God, I am not. God, you are good, I am not. We would do so well if we would go to God with our hearts and stop blaming all of our problems in our life on God, wives blaming their sin on their husband, husbands blaming their sin on their wives, Parents blaming their sin on their children. Children blaming their sin on their parents. 
and we would be honest if we would humble ourselves and say, I have sinned. It's my fault. And God, you are justified. You are blameless. And then ask God for mercy. And God is in the mercy giving business. He will give you mercy. He will give you grace. He will keep His promises till the end. But you must be faithful to Him. Now, I, I know there are times we are unfaithful. And God is still faithful to us. But what I'm saying is, when we're unfaithful, let's not, let's not blame God that we're not receiving the promises that He offers number three number three paul says i am not attacking god's purity verses three five through eight he says but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of god what shall we say the god who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous is he I am speaking from a human viewpoint. Paul's saying, I'm speaking from your human reasoning, not mine. I don't believe that nonsense. I don't believe the nonsense that God is unrighteous because He's a God of grace. Verse 6, far from it. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? In other words, if God, if God gets glory out of people's sin... How can he judge people for their sin? This is what these people were saying. But if through my lie, the truth of God abounded to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? People were saying, if you tell a lie, that's good for God, because then God's truth looks better. No. And why not just say, just as we are slanderously reported, as some claim that we say, let's do evil that good may come from it. Their condemnation is deserved. So, what people were saying, since Paul is saying you can't be saved by the law, just don't keep the law. Just, just sin as much as you can. God gets glory from it. And then He... He will, he will give you grace. That, that, is, that is false. That is a lie. Many times you've heard me say that God gave us the Ten Commandments to show us we can't keep them. And I believe that. He gave us the law to show us that we're sinners and we cannot keep the law. We break the law in our actions and we break the law in our heart, Jesus said. Because Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone that looks lustfully after a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. You have heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you, if you call somebody a fool, you've already committed murder in your heart. Guilty. Everybody's guilty. And the point is, that shows us we need a Savior. So, if the commandments are there to show us we need a Savior, 
So let's just break them then, right? Let's just break them. Is that what God wants? Is that what gives God glory? No, no. But here's the problem, and especially in the church in America. We got many people who think they can just live any old way they want, attend church, say they believe in Jesus, and that they're going to be saved. And there's no turning from their sin. And this is a deception. This is a lie. And, and many people fall into this category. Um, another illustration of what Paul's saying here. Imagine Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He turned on the best friend he ever had and betrayed him. One of the most evil things that's done in human history. Imagine Judas on judgment day saying to God, hey, but hey, Jesus, I helped you get to the cross. Hey, Jesus, uh, that fulfilled scripture by me betraying you. So, hey, I'm off the hook, ain't I? Oh, no. Jesus said about Judas, it would have been, it's better off that he had never been born because of the judgment he's faced. He's going to be responsible. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God used his evil to fulfill his purposes. And we've been talking about this. But Judas will give an account for his sin. Romans 6, Paul says, so should we continue in sin so grace may abound? Because Paul keeps talking about grace. You're saved by grace. And he says, far be it. God forbid. True Christians understand this. True Christians understand. We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Yes, we are forgiven. But we are also saved from the power of sin. And if the power of sin still dominates your life, it's very possible very possible, according to, I'm not the judge, but according to the word of God, that God is always true. Men can be a liar. And I like that verse. Let God be true and every man a liar. So many people believe lying men instead of the one God that always tells the truth. They believe lying men in the religious world. They believe lying men in the political world. Whatever suits their opinion. And I'm telling you, the only one right. Who's right, Frank? Tell us who's right. God is right. That's it. God is right. So I guide everything I do in life, everything I listen to, everything in life, I guide that by what God says not by what sinful men say. Whenever you're talking about these things, I always, I, you hear me refer to legalism. You hear me refer to people have a license to sin. Those are two extremes that pervert the gospel and pervert the church. So let me, let me explain it to you. So legalism, what's legalism? 
Legalism is man-made rules. Okay? We, we'll see this in the gospel. Um, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the religious Pharisees, they made, they made up all, they added man-made rules to God's rules. And this happens in legalistic churches. Legalistic Christians do these things. They add their own man-made rules. Okay, I'll give you an illustration. Um, you know, there's their churches say, you're not allowed to dance. You're not allowed to dance. Now, there's no verse in the Bible that says you're not allowed to dance. Why are you not allowed to dance? Because the Bible says you should not commit adultery. So what they do is they build a fence around, around God's command. God's command is true. That's all you need to keep. But what they do, they put a legalism fence around it and say, you can't dance because you might commit adultery. And I don't know how I'm going to commit adultery when I'm only dancing with my wife at the wedding, right? So it's a, it's a silly rule. I know there could be worldly type of dancing that causes lust, and I'm, we need to use our brain in these kind of things. But do you see how people... Okay, here, I'll give you another illustration. The New Testament is very clear that women should dress modest. It's very clear that women should focus on their inner beauty instead of their outer beauty. Okay? That's what the Bible says. So some illegalist comes along and says, thou shalt not wear makeup. That, that's not in the Bible. But that's what the legalist says. They build a fence around God's teaching and add a man-made rule to protect you. But here's the thing. You don't wear makeup, well, you might still be ugly on the outside and ugly on the inside. Because just not wearing makeup ain't going to fix your heart. This is what legalism does. Um, legalism, okay? Uh, the Bible condemns drunkenness, condemns it. So the legalist builds a fence around it and says, well, you can't drink that small cup of champagne, uh, there, there, there are so many. There are people that say you can't go to Chili's Bar and Grill because even if you're eating a burger and drinking a Diet Coke, you might be tempted to go in the bar and get drunk. It's it's a fence. It's it's legalism, and what legalism does, it perverts the gospel. It makes the gospel that you have to follow all of these man-made rules if you want to be a Christian. And I'm telling you, it's, it's from the devil. Don't be a legalist. Have a relationship. Be filled with the Spirit. Be kind. Be gracious. People are free in Christ. But now there's the other extreme. And this is an extreme I deal with a lot. Okay? Uh... You got the legalist, but you got the person that's got a license to sin. And what he does is, he's a Christian, he believes in Jesus, and he's forgiven, so he can do whatever he wants. So he goes to the bar, and he says, hey man, Jesus turned water into wine, so give me seven shots of vodka, and... Uh, 
Seven's God's number in Revelation. Give me seven shots of vodka. And let me tell you something, he adds a lot to it. Because I'm forgiven and I'm free. And he's out there at the bar saying the F word with the rest of the unbelievers. And saying, using God's name in vain and all kinds of other swear words. And by the way, you say, what's the big deal with swearing, Frank? Well, Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So you've got you've to deal with the heart. So this guy's out there. Everything's coming out of his heart that's, that's sinful. And then he's lusting at other people's wives. He might even go home with somebody else's wife. And he wakes up in the morning, and a woman says, you know, I heard you're a Christian. And he gets out his license, his identification card, and says, yeah. I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven. I believe in Jesus. That kind of Christianity blasphemes God because Jesus died for the penalty of our sin, but he died for the power of our sin. And I'm telling you today, dear friend, it's New Year's Day, man. I love you all. I don't want to get on anybody's case. But I'm telling you what the Word of God says. And I'm telling you, you better ask God to change your heart if you're really a true Christian. If Christ has really saved you from the penalty of your sin, then He should be saving you from the power of your sin. Listen here, 1 John 2, 9. We're almost done. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who has been born of God, practices sin because his seed remains in him. He cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Frank, you're always saying we're all sinners. You're always saying you're a sinner. Yes, we are all sinners. But... We don't practice sin anymore. You know what practice is? Some of you guys play sports. You know what practice is? Why do you practice? To get better at it. So what John is saying there, if you're born of God, and that God's seed, it's talking about if you really have the Holy Spirit, how can you be practicing sin? How are you still getting better at it? How are your words still the same? How come they're not getting cleaner and more biblical and more like Jesus? How come you're still doing things that that don't glorify God, that blaspheme God, things that Jesus died for? So this is the point. We're not saved by doing works, but when we're truly saved... Good works flow out of us. Do you understand the point? God saved me from those things. You say, Frank, you did all those things, that guy you're making fun of at the bar. Yeah, I did. So who am I to judge? I know. I'm not, ju- I'm not the judge. But I'm telling you, Jesus died for me and saved me from that and changed me, and I'm running away from all that. And you should be too if you truly love God in your heart. Some of you might have heard 
of the story of the mutiny on the bounty. There's a book, it's true history. Uh, there was a movie. Uh, Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins played in this uh, movie, Mutiny on the Bounty. And in 1789, a ship called the Bounty came over to some of the islands in the Pacific. And their mission was to organize the islands. They were, the, the British were pretty much taking over these islands. They wanted to organize it. They wanted to plant things. And so they sent this ship with a group of men uh, to the island. They lived there for six months. It took them 10 months to cross the ocean to get there. Well, while they were there, the men, the crew, the sailors on the ship, they loved the island so much because they loved the tropical environment. They loved the blue water. They loved the native girls. And they said to themselves, we're not going back over the sea. We're not going back to England. We're staying in this tropical paradise. And Captain Bly, Captain Bly, they tied up Captain Bly and a couple of men that were faithful to him and sent him adrift back on the water. And nine men, nine of these mutineers, and there's debate. You know, these movies try to make Captain Bly out like he's some evil dictator. Who's the bad guy? Captain Bly or these guys that tied him up and sent him out to sea so they could party? These nine men, they started a colony. They learned how to distill whiskey. They lived happily ever after, right? <laughs> they began to kill each other. They, they lived in debauchery. They died from sexual disease. Early deaths, all of them. They all died. The one lone survivor, the one, the last survivor of all of them, his name was John Adams. He changed his name to Alexander Smith in case the authorities came to investigate the mutineers. But as John Adams was going through some of the other sailors' supplies that died, he found a Bible. He found a Bible. And when he found that Bible, he read that Bible. But not only did he read the Bible, he believed the Bible. And he applied the Bible. And he began, he started his own colony on one of the little islands there. He began to, to teach the people and the children the Bible. He taught the children how to read and write. He, he, it was amazing what he did. 20 years later, when the authorities came and finally caught up with Adams, to their shock, they couldn't believe it. Here was a colony filled with people that were living in peace. There was no drunkenness. There was no disease. The children could read and write. And they were all living in peace and harmony with one another. The British 
authorities ended up pardoning him after they saw all of his accomplishments. All because one man found a Bible and he read the Bible and he believed the Bible and he applied the Bible. 2023 starts today, right? I remember when I was a kid, 2023, that was only in science fiction movies, <laughs> right? My, my advice for you, find a Bible. But don't just find a Bible, read the Bible. Don't just read the Bible, believe the Bible. Apply the Bible. And God will do amazing things in your life and in your family. But you must apply it. You must humble yourself and turn to Jesus Christ. We are going to take communion right now. And we're going to remember, I think communion, it's, I'm glad we're doing communion today on New Year's. It's a perfect day to remember and worship Jesus for what he did for us. So I'm going to ask our men to come and pass out the communion. And I'd like you to hold on to it. Just hold on to the communion and we'll take it together in a few moments. While they're getting ready, let's pray together. Would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? The great thing about New Year's and the great thing about God, the Bible says God's mercies are new every day. Every day. And even if you're hearing this sermon and you're convicted because some of the things I talked about you're doing, God's mercies are new every day. If you confess your sin and you're really remorseful for it, He will cleanse you from your sin. But confession is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Confession is making a change. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your heart. Father, thank You for the Word of God. What an advantage we have. What a privilege we have to have a Bible. God, we're sorry that we don't realize how powerful it is, how precious it is. And sometimes we get sidetracked from reading it and believing it and applying it. Help us as a church to stay on track with that. God, now as we take these emblems, we, we want to worship You and glorify You for the great sacrifice You made so we could be forgiven. God, we also want to say that we're sorry that we hold on to sin, God, that doesn't glorify You. We take it for granted. Ah, I'm just forgiven. When our hearts should be broken when we sin against You. Thank You for giving us the law that shows we need a Savior. Thank You for giving us the Spirit that gives us power over our sin. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.